Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the audio and video podcast, Mana for Breakfast. We are having a nice morning here. Let's see. I'm going to check the, see what kind of temperature we're dealing with this morning. Everything's going to be in the 80s, I'm sure. Let's see. Wow, 75 degrees. Nice. It was cool last night. Well, let's hope we can keep that up. It's supposed to be a high of 70. 86 today. That's really getting up there. Well, I'm sure you're getting some upper temperatures too. Some of you guys live in not not so far north, but um, let us know if things are turning into summer up there. So we're going to look over into this day trivia. And for May 12th, let's see what's going on there. Famous quote of the day by... Henry Peter Borum, education makes people easy to lead, but difficult to drive. Easy to govern, but impossible to enslave. Let's see, the first U.S. planetarium, 1930. The Adler Planetarium and Astronomical Museum of Chicago opens. It was the first public planetarium in the U.S., as well as the Western Hemisphere, Max Adler donated the funds for its construction. The Zeiss Projector and a collection of unique scientific instruments. Adler was a concert violinist before he became a vice president of the Sears and Robux after marrying to a family that controlled the company. So pretty cool. I remember the first planetarium I ever went into as a kid. I was amazed. I loved it. Let's see, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, May 12th, 1861, Julia Willard Howe uh, performs the song, the first time the flag-raising ceremony for Union recruits at Fort Warren near Boston, also known as Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory. It is sung to the tune of John Brown's body. Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory, the coming of the Lord. Pretty cool. He is trampling out the vintage... Where the grapes of wrath are stored, he hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. The battle hymn of the Republic, as you can see, was very, very focused on God leading the battle, God being the center of the United States and its military. Can't say we're still there today, but we were in the beginning. First worldwide radio broadcast, May 12, 1937. Coronation of King George VI and Queen Elizabeth is broadcast by the BBC. 1937, First World War broadcast. Oh, this is a good one. May 12th, 1896, the New York Department of Health passes the first ban in the U.S. on spitting in public and transit systems. It was punishable by a dollar to five dollar fine and, believe it or not, up to a year in jail. Ben was intended to help prevent the spread of diseases such as tuberculosis. So there was actually a good reason for it, interestingly enough. All right. Now, we're in Second Samuel, chapter 10. Father, thank you for this morning. And we do ask you for your guidance as we look into your word. And we would pray, God, that you would just help us in our efforts to understand these things. Keep our minds sharp. Keep us alert as we read through this to pick up the nuances and those truths that you want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're ready. We're in Second Samuel chapter 10. We'll be picking it up there. Ammon and Aram defeated. Now what happened towards 
Now it happened afterwards that the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, became king in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Naash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent some of his servants to console him concerning his father. But when David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites, the prince of the Ammonites, said to Hanun, their lord, do you think that David is honoring your father because he has sent consolers to you? Has David not sent his servants to you in order to search the city to spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants, shaved off half their beards, cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips, and sent them away. When they told it to David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly humiliated. And the king said, Stay at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. Now when the sons of Ammon saw that they had become odious to David, the sons of Ammon sent and hired the Arameans of Beth-Roab and the Arameans of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Makkah with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob with 12,000 men. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army, the mighty men, the sons of Ammon, came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the city, while the Arameans and Zobah of, and of Roab and the men of Tob and Makkah were by themselves in the field. Now when Joab saw that the battle was set against him in the front and in the rear, he selected from all the choice men of Israel and arrayed them against the Arameans. But the remainder of the people he placed in the hand of Abishai, his brother, and he raided them against the sons of Ammon. He said, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come to help you. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Arameans, and they fled before him. So the sons of Ammon saw that the Arameans fled. They also fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. And when the Arameans saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. Hadadazer sent and brought out the Arameans, who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobak, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, led them. Now, when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together, crossed the Jordan, and came to Halem. And the Arameans arrayed themselves to meet David and fought against him. But the Arameans fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers of the Arameans and 40,000 horsemen and struck down Shobak, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the king's servants of Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Arameans feared the sons of Ammon. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab his servant with them and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. 
Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a young woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful in appearance, so David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him. He lay with her, and when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, and said, I'm pregnant. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people in this, this state of war. David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house. And a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his house. Now when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to him, The ark of Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Stay here today also. Tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to the house, his house. Now in the morning... David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, Peace, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. And so it was as Joab kept a watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men in the city went out and fought against Joab. Some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. And he charged his messenger, saying, When you have finished telling all the events of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises and says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman throw a upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died? And Thebes, why did you go so near the wall? Then he said, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger departed, came and reported to David all that Job had said to him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men prevailed against us and came out against us. In the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance to, of the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servants from the wall. So some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Make your battle against the city strong and overthrow it. So he encouraged him. Now, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. 
When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take his from his own flock or his own herd to prepare the, for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger burned greatly against that man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Is it I who anointed you king? Over Israel? And is it I who delivered you from the hand of Saul? I also gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your care, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down your way the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up people against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. By this deed, you have been given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. Well, they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that the, his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came 
to his own house, and when he requested that food be set before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when the child is dead, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows that the Lord may be gracious to me, and that the child may live. But now that he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. Now, Joab fought against Rabbah, the sons of Ammon, and captured the royal city. Joab sent messengers to David, saying, I have fought against Rabbah. I have even captured the city of waters. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and capture it, or I will capture the city myself, and it will be named after me. So David gathered all the people and went to Rabbah, fought against it, and captured it. Then he took the crown of the king from his head, and its weight was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the spoil of the city with great amounts. He also brought out the people who were in it and set them under saws, sharp irons, instruments, iron axes, and made them pass through the, the brick kiln. And thus he did all to the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So we have amazing stuff going on with David with these battles at the beginning. David is compassionate to the Ammonites, which itself is strange how these alliances and these wars between these people worked because they had been at war before. Now apparently they were had some kind of alliance, not a very good one, and David goes to send his, his consolers because the king died, and his son, get, his son gets bad counsel and says, no, he's just here to check you out, to attack you, so he humiliates his men, and gathers all these other kings together to come together in, uh, against him in battle, of which David wins, or his soldiers win, telling me that it was probably God's design that he was still wanting to use David to establish the kingdom, the nation of Israel, militarily, to take down these other pagan nations, and David is useful in that. But in all of the success... David starts, as we say, resting on his laurels, I guess. He sends Joab out. Now he's he's lingering back. Instead of going to war with Joab, he's at the castle. And if the enemy cannot win the battle from without, he will try and win it from within. If he can't gain strength and power over you head on in battle like this, physically in the battle, he's going to wage war in the mind and here is where Satan wages the war with David over his weakness with women. He already had a number of wives, but he says Bathsheba decides in his lust he wants her, so he takes her, but then he's confronted with a problem. She becomes pregnant. How do you deal with that? Well, David should have, as we all should have, should, if these things ever happen, Admit it to God and come clean right away and, and repent and go before God and, and um, 
and the priest and prayer and um, and in repentance right away, but he doesn't. So he does such something much worse. He kills Uriah to cover it up. And yet this whole point of this thing is you can't hide things from God. God knew all along. That's why he sends Nathan. And Nathan flushes him out. So when he's finally flushed out, this is when he repents big time. Because under the law, he was supposed to be killed. But by God's mercy, he wasn't. And it seems all related to his strong heart of repentance. He really, really felt sorry. So this is, again, why he's a man after God's heart, because even though he was human, he made colossal mistakes. He then also was one of the best at repenting and feeling the weight of his sin and realizing he was unworthy to, to receive any of the blessings of God, and so God forgives him. I don't fully understand it. He's an adulterer and a murderer, and God forgives him. If anything... It's modeling to us the New Testament covenant of grace, that this is the way God would deal with those when the Messiah would come. That Because we don't see this happen very much in the Old Testament, but we do see it here. And it's all according to the heart of repentance of the person. Obviously, Saul never did that, so Saul never had any of this kind of um, forgiveness of God. He was eliminated. All right, John chapter 3. The new birth. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things... And you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one who's, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So there you go, the... Uh, the formula for the new birth tells Nicodemus you must experience a new birth, not a new law, not more law, not more regulations, not more festivals, all of the stuff the Pharisees were used to as it was constantly adding the laws, 660 some laws they were adding so that man could be more righteous to, to come enter into the kingdom of God. He says, no, 
It's not by the end of that. It's by a new birth. That which is of the flesh is flesh. That's the mortal body. Born a mortal body through your mother. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That is born again by the Holy Spirit, a movement of God. It's transforming you completely from the inside out, making you a new person. It's a birth that's just as valid as the physical birth. But he said, if you can't, if I can't explain how the earthly things really work, you'll never ex- understand the heavenly things. Basically said, you have to be born again. And the way that happens is exactly like what happened in the Exodus with the serpent raised up on a pole. He says, I must be lifted up like the serpent was, placed on a pole, lifted up. So all who would look, who had been bitten and dying from the venom of the poison there in the Old Testament, but then then symbolically bitten and dying from the venom of sin that they were born with coming from Adam and Eve, whoever looks to me then will become born again. They will have new life. You had to look in faith, believing that Jesus raised up on a pole, in this case the cross, was able to save. And it was there because he was acting on your behalf for your sin. So there you have it. Nicodemus gets the gospel straight from the Messiah himself. Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. Proverbs twenty-seven eighteen. He who tends the fig tree has figs for his pains. He who waits on a good master has honor as his reward. Truly the Lord Jesus is the very best of masters, and it is an honor to be allowed to do the least act for his sake. To serve some lords is to watch over a crab tree and eat the crab's as one's wages, but to serve my Lord Jesus is to keep a fig tree of the sweetest figs. His service is in itself a delight. Continuance in it is promotion. Success in it is blessedness below, and the reward for it is glory above. Our greatest honor will be gathered in that season when the figs will be ripe, even in the next world. Angels who are now our servitors, will bear us home when our day's work is done. Heaven, where Jesus is, will be our honorable mansion, eternal bliss, our honorable portion, and the Lord himself, our honorable companion. Who can imagine the full meaning of this promise? He that waiteth on his master shall be honored. Lord, help me to wait Upon my master, let me leave all idea of honor to the hour when thou thyself shalt honor me. May thy Holy Spirit make me a lowly and patient worker and waiter. That's wonderful and a good description. Father, we thank you for the work that you do do in us to bring us new birth, to bring us into your kingdom, to bring us, God, into holiness and to allow us to serve you. So we do pray that you would continue, God, to, to work in us to that end, that we be humbly enjoying all the things that are that you have given us and provided for us. But we do want to lift up those that are having difficulty and are distracted in their service of you because of various health, health issues. 
when I think of uh, Scott Amaral and Dodie praying they, they're able to get over their vertigo and their tinnitus for Scott, whatever's going on. God just stabilized their, their chemical uh, balances or whatever's going on to cause these issues and help them. And also for our little Abby and Emmy, uh, um, just help them as well that they can think clearly and have their minds function, God, as you designed them to function. So we pray for their healing as well. And we want to pray for Maria Elena, whose desires nothing more to come to church as she is still dealing with this cancer. And God, just give her strength day, day to day to do what she wants to do. Thank you for those who went out and shared the Lord for the evangelism team. Pray that you are, God, continuing to draw those people in who have heard your word, bring them into service so that we can minister to them. Thank you for those that have recently come to know you personally and been just blessed by your word and continue to grow. So we do want to pray for that. And we want to um, pray for what's going on in Israel with these rockets being launched, 500 yesterday, and amazing uh, and Israel having to strike back, and now we're seeing this war happening. God, it's really getting heating up again. So we want to pray for protection for Israel. We want to pray that you use the governing authorities, even Egypt, to help broker a peace agreement, God, if that is your will. And we want to pray for a fire that's going on in the mountains um, up by our, our um, Renee's family's property up in the mountains in New Mexico. So many fires up there, God, even above. And then just pray for no loss of life or, or uh, homes that you keep that fire. You take it away or put it out, God. Use use the air bombers, the other firefighters. Pray for their safety, God, in all aspects. And we pray for Renee. She has a sore throat. and had Help her get over that so she can minister effectively. We pray for the women's uh, gathering tomorrow. A little time they'll spend fellowshipping here that you just bless it enormously, God, so they can continue to grow in you and grow in unity as a body and feel love one for another as they already do, but just increase it, God. So thank you for all you're doing. And we bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. That'll do it. So see you guys tomorrow at the same time. And well, yeah, we have, I'll have time. We're doing a a brunch here thing tomorrow. I think I'll have time to do it. If not, I'll send on a message. <laughs> but I think I'm going to try. Okay? God bless you guys. See you tomorrow. Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional, which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word.